Peace and thank you, family, for tuning into Creative Habits Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Anthony. And I'm your co-host, Indigo. We're based in Washington, D.C. with leading discussions on topics surrounding pop culture, business, lifestyle, and art with an occasional guest appearance within the creative and entrepreneurial industry. What's up, beautiful people? Thank you for tuning in into another episode of Creative Habits Podcast. We have a very special guest today. Um, This guest is an owner of an entertainment company, a criminal law firm, a vocational nonprofit, and a podcast. Um, He is a man of the people, um, a very uh, extinguished gentleman, um, Mr. Omari Amanaku. Ajanaku. Ajanaku. Sorry about that. There we go. Nah, we're here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> How you doing today, brother? Um, I'm doing that much better. Your words are too kind, man. Yeah. And I appreciate them. I appreciate it. Oh, it's all good, man. It's all good. So um, tell me a little bit about yourself and, and your experience. Oh, I think this is one of my weaknesses is um, talking about myself, as, as odd as that is. Um, a little about me. Um, driven. Mm. Um, I know the grand scheme about how um, outside communities want to take advantage of our youth and and the, the African American community as a whole. And so I've just dedicated myself toward the upliftment and, and inspiration and the empowerment of us. Uh, if the money comes, that's great. If the money doesn't come, that's great too. Because I'm doing what I love to do, and I know it's a necessity for it. Um, I'm simple, man. I, I keep things really simple. Yes or no, do or don't, will or won't. Um, Another thing I'm doing is, is learning to, to shut my computer off, close my notebook, and be a lot more present with my family. Mm-hmm. I need to get work done, wake up in the morning, or stay up late. Other than that, you need to spend a lot more time. I spend time, but a lot more time. Be a lot more creative in the things we do. So now it's just about um, a little bit, a shift in time management, um, and, and being patient and believing in myself that brick by brick, this house will get built. Not, not to rush it, it'll be impatient. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's important. That's important. Um, a lot of us need that discipline in life. You know what I mean? We need that. Um, for example, myself, I wake up for 30 every morning. I work out for an hour. I meditate. You know, I make sure the family's good. And I need that routine in order for me to feel better spiritually. And it helps my day move by a lot more smoothly you know what I mean so discipline is extremely important um so what was your experience being born in Chicago um moving to Oklahoma and 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 you originally wanted to go to school for a a law degree or something like that yeah yeah um I didn't spend a lot of time in Chicago Uh, I did I did soak up a lot of energy from the city and that the ambition from the city, I feel like that tenacity and that, that I got to get it. Um, I came out to Oklahoma in my third grade. So um, and I spent I pretty much grew up in Langston. Shout out to my HBCU. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Langston, Oklahoma. Um, and I think that I'm thankful for that experience to see black excellence and to see uh, black intellectuals and that it was common. It was expected. It wasn't outside the norm or resented or scorned. It was part of the culture. Mm-hmm. And it was consistent and expected almost. There was an expectation. Um, 
remind me again of that last, that very, very last question. I'm going to school and um, I think it was forensic uh, science and yeah, trying yeah. to get a, your law degree later on. Um, yeah, my grandmother used to come over and watch Law and Order. This was in Langston. And in passing, um, it really didn't appeal to me until I gave it a chance and I watched the full episode. And I just found the piecing the, the puzzles together mm. with, you know, physical evidence, with testimonial evidence, um, and then you know, times and alibis. I found that to be fascinating. Um, and I wanted to, that's what I wanted to do. I committed myself to it. And so I went to Langston, say at a, you know, a fairly, a fairly decent criminal justice program, but I wanted that forensic background to where uh, I have my own, my own expertise, my own set of experiences that I can draw from, as well as someone who could, commits themselves 24-7 to the craft. And I went to Langston, and they didn't have everything that I needed. Mm. Um, it was emotionally fantastic. You know, going back to my HBCU, I grew up there. Being there, I, I had everything I thought I needed, but I wasn't being challenged intellectually the way that I know I needed to be. And so I had to transfer. Um, I know that in my spirit, if I really wanted to help my HBCU and help my community, I had to leave, go get more skills, then come back and strengthen that and bolster that program to where the next generation of someone similar to me wouldn't have to leave to get everything they knew they deserved. They can get all their skills and get honed in that craft while staying at an area that's more uh, suited for them. So I transferred to UCO, the University of Central Oklahoma, got my bachelor's in forensic science and criminal justice, two bachelor's. Um, and I built a law office, a criminal law office, which I'm a paralegal at now. Uh, the grand scheme is the law school. Only mm -hmm. thing with law school, it's a, it's a little tricky. The first year, they do not want you to work. Well, I have three kids and a family to support, and that's my priority. And so in order for me to be financially independent enough to do that, this is where the entertainment company comes in, the films, the books, the music, the board games, uh, to get that independence. So then when we get to a certain level to where I create my own schedule, then, then we can go. Um, I took the LSAT once. For those taking the LSAT, take it seriously. It, it's, it's a test that you've never, it's something like you've never taken before. Um, it, you're in a room for what, six to eight hours in one spot, not moving. And the pressure it puts on you intellectually and mentally is something that I've never experienced before. And I, I enjoyed the experience, um, but the score I got on it was decent. I could be in law school now if I wanted to but it will be 90% me paying for it, 10% them, and that's unacceptable. So what I'm going to do is retake it to where it's 90% them, 10% me, because that's just what it has to be. Hmm. How important important was it uh, for you to go to an HBCU? It was imperative. Hmm. It was imperative. Um, and I think that going there, getting some of my basics out the way, while at the same time, adding and contributing to that culture, it just, it just made sense for me. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I wasn't going to be blinded by loyalty and be confined and be slave to my emotions and my ego and pride, knowing my intention was to do what's best for them. And doing what's best for them is by doing what's best for me. Mm -hmm. And so that was just a grand scheme. It's just writing on a piece of paper, what's my plan? What's my grand scheme? And how can I best be used for my community? And how I can be best be used is to go out, learn as much as possible and bring it all back and give it away. Get all these resources, all this information, all this knowledge, and then give it. You can sell it. If, you, if they want to buy it, it's, it's uh, accessible to be bought. If you don't want to buy it, it's here for free too. The decision is yours. Hmm.
that's extremely important as well. You know, mm-hmm. giving that olive branch to those who may need it or may want it, especially to, um, you know, younger folks to show yeah. them there's other avenues rather than being a, a, a rap artist or a, a ball player. Like, um, I think is, for example, me growing up in elementary school, I rarely had like black teachers. Most of them were white females, you know, mm-hmm. not until high school is when I first saw my first black male teacher. You know what I mean? And subconsciously, I was like, whoa, I can be that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So just being that example for the youth is extremely important, you know, so they can broaden their horizons and, and give them, you know, other outlets to look at and to yeah. um, thrive to accomplish, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, how has being a father impacted your life? It. It gives me, no, not give, it forces me to be more stable, mm. to be a lot more patient with my decisions and how I move because it affects, it. my decisions don't affect me anymore. It's really not about me anymore. Every move I make, every conversation I have is going to indirectly or directly affect my children and my wife. And so with that, I'm having to ask myself, is it necessary, that comment or that um, that feedback I want to give that person, is it truly necessary? And if it's not, then maybe maybe we do without that. Mm. You know, is you staying late after work, an hour or two hours to get some work done, is it truly necessary? Or can you come in early while they're still asleep and get it done? Mm. And so now it's just about longevity, uh, stability, consistency, and devotion. And to make sure that because uh, a lot of us don't realize our first relationship with our sons is their first with a male. So, mm-hmm. you know, their friends, the people they want to be around, they're going to seek what we give them because they're comfortable with it. It's what they've always gotten. It's what they're used to. Same with our, our females. Their first male relationship is you. So whatever you give them, have you treat them, have you talk to them, have you interact with them, whatever you do together, that's that bonding time, they're going to seek that in their, in their male counterparts. And so that's, I'm very aware of it. And I make sure that I give them as much as possible. That way, when it's Fugazi, they already know because, hey, this is not, this is not what my father used to talk about. This is not what we used to do. This is something way off left. So it's probably best that we keep our distance. Mm. Or it's going to be consequences because that's just what we stand on. That and leading by example, too, because kids are, are sponges, man. I got a Come two-year-old on. son, uh, myself, a, a little boy, and um, I have to constantly remind myself that he's two years old. So everything mm-hmm. that he's experiencing is new to him. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? <laughs> so just the way I talk to him or just the way I present myself to the world in front of him is Mm -hmm. is it's a lot deeper than what people realize you know Mm -hmm. so and my son is extremely talented um when he can first like grip things with his hands he picked up like two chopsticks and started drumming you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and he's been doing that for two years straight so i know Mm -hmm. what he wants to do when he grows it's just channeling that that extra energy and focusing him on that specific topic so he can be great at it you know what i mean Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Direction, that's key. I think that's one of the things that, in my opinion, that a male brings is a consistency, discipline, and just that scoping and honing in direction, mm. unwavering direction to where this is where we're going to go. We'll still consider these other paths, go through the pros and cons. We'll go through that together. Okay, that's no longer an option. So this is what it's going to be and to follow through on it. I think that is imperative. And patience. Imperative. And patience. Too. Mm-hmm. Patience is, mm-hmm. is key, man. <laughs> Having a mm-hmm. child definitely taught me patience is key. You know what yeah. I mean? And um, it's just wonderful having a little thing that resembles you, that might have a few <laughs> of your mannerisms, you know what I mean? And and just walks like you. Like my lady took a picture of he and I sleeping and we were definitely in the same position, like same arm up, everything, like same position. And um, it's just leaving that lineage, uh, creating that legacy, you know what I mean? Mm. It's important. We do what we do today to create that legacy and keep that line strong. Absolutely. Um, what you gave me a brief um, reason why you wanted to start your own entertainment company, but mm-hmm. what 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 was the first idea, and and how did you want? How did what was your steps in order to pursue that? Mm, I've always I've always written things down, uh, poetry words. I've always written it down. Uh, what made me want to present it to the world is is as I would look for uh, positive images and reinforcing uh, messages of our community. People that look like us is the main character, if mm. not the whole cast, and and reinforcing that that black excellence. And I didn't see it. I saw dysfunction. I saw violence. Uh, I saw adultery. I saw drugs and um, taking advantage of our youth. We know that same story, but where is the uplifting and empowering stories? Like where's that uh, that black superhero or that black hero that's a teacher, that's a dentist, mm. uh, that's a community activist? Where's that story that shows reality still, but still cohesion and, and on a generational level? And so I decided to do it myself. You know, I, I looked and looked for so long and I started to waste energy and disappoint myself. And so I said, the things I'm looking for, the things I want to be or want to see, rather, I just created myself. And so the hobby turned into an LLC. And now the LLC is, is, is the fruit is blooming. The, the soundtrack, the, the film, the, 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 the book, it's, it's all interwoven. And it's incredibly intentional uh, because when I was making it, as I was forming it, I said, if I die tomorrow, other than my life insurance policy, what am I leaving behind for my children? What's up a guidance or information or information am I giving them? And then that's where this came out. And so the goal is that one day, you know, God willing, I, I'm here. I sit down with them and we watch it. We watch the film together. We listen to the soundtrack. We read the book together. And that, that incites some conversation. And at the same time, when other people ingest the material, they sit down with their families too. And kind of go over some of the pros and cons and things we do and shouldn't do. Like the, I think the film is the most powerful one. The, the soundtrack is a is a great one too. I think the film is the most powerful because you see it. You actually see it. You see the thought process behind the decisions. You see how people lower their standards in order for feelings and emotion. 
you see how as we're developing our career, we get distracted and tempted. And now it might be too late for us to go back. And now we got to go eight extra laps just to get back at zero. And it's still not a zero because we've been tainted in a sense when it comes to our record and to our energy and, and resources. And so it's just taking us, taking the, really the youth and showing them if you do this, not every time, more times than not, this is going to be the outcome. And here's why the person who's doing the similar things to you, here's why they did it. Are you having similar thoughts? And so it's just taking us on behind the scenes, even behind the scenes, though, to the thought process and thoughts they're having as they're going through their, their trials and tribulations. That's deep. Controlling the narrative. Mm. That's important, you know, because if we look at our community or our media, the media that they feed feed us, it's basic. Uh, it's more trauma based than anything, whether yeah. it be nothing but slave movies, um, drug dealers, drug sellers, drug doers. You know what I mean? Everything that we consume on the television is about black people is mostly trauma based. Yeah. But I love your approach because black people are not monolithic. You know what I mean? We didn't start off as slaves. We have a, a, a long, deep, rich history, over 400,000 years or, or more of it that can be told. You know what I mean? So just having our narrative focused down on those bottom of the barrel entities is not doing us any justice or our children any justice. So I love that approach that you're taking. Uh, and I want people listening to, to realize it's, it's meant to do us an injustice mm -hmm. because that way the generational cycle can continue. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we die for tangible objects because we lack self-esteem because we've we dealt with trauma and abandonment and, um, and we, don't, we don't realize it and we don't address it. We kind of put band-aids on snake bites, not knowing that it's, on a, on a anatomical level is, is causing us harm. And we don't acknowledge it until it's too late. Until now, he's acting out. Until now, oh, he needs to get a medicine. Until now, oh, he's committed a crime and he, he's behind bars. Now we want to acknowledge and, and, and get to the root of it. And my goal is to, to, to get to the root of it immediately. Like today, mm -hmm. like right now, why wait? Mm -hmm. At least acknowledge it. That the next step is the next step. The biggest thing for me is just acknowledge the reality of the situation. Hmm. That's light. That's light. So we've all we all know that out of when you put pressure on coal, it turns into a diamond, right? Mm -hmm. That's how I kind of look at us and our community, even though we've been crushed to a point that we had to be resilient we had to create um films music you know marvin gaze james browns like out of all these adversities we had to become something that they didn't expect us to be you know what i mean so what is your main purpose of creating this um i don't want to say media company because it's so much more you got um, your podcast, you got um, the people's criminal law, um, the vocational nonprofit program. Like, what is what is the whole purpose of it all? 
The grand scheme is to, to address our weakest points of the community. Uh, we, what are our weakest points? We know the criminal justice program, the system, it's a trillion dollar program that goes back generations. Mm. So people's criminal law, inform, prepare, prevent. My goal with that one is to, you have your public defender, people don't realize the public defender's job is to lose. That's why mm. they're a public defender, unless they're chosen to do special things historically. Then they probably move over to prosecution and build their career from there. But uh, more times than not, their job is to take plea deals. So the prosecution keeps their uh, their success rate high, their prosecute rate high. Then they get district attorney. Then from there is senator, mayor, governor, house of representatives, Congress. That's how they built their career is by prosecuting us for taking plea deals. Mm-hmm. Not knowing you take a plea deal, you're on probation, you jaywalk, that's it. Here's one people understand. You pop a willy, which is breaking a city ordinance. That's about violating your probation. Mm-hmm. And so my goal with that is to have someone extra in your corner. You know, Omari, this is what my public defender said. This is the facts of my case. What do you think I would I should do? The first thing I'll say is, well, I'm not a licensed attorney yet. So I can give my opinion of what I would do in this situation. I'm not advising you to do anything. What I would do was one, two, three, four, five. I might need to sit down for two or three years. You'll mm-hmm. probably be out in 16 months. You won't be on probation, though. And then it'd be a misdemeanor. Instead of taking that plea deal, getting out, violating it. Now, now it gets interesting. But you got to come up off some money and you got to come up off some time. So the job, you've, you lose that. The car payment, they're going to take that. Your apartment, you're going to get evicted or you're going to cause a, a hampering situation financially and those closest to you all because we rushed it. So that's the purpose for that one is to keep us out of that system. And if we're in it, it's that straight and narrow and getting us out of it. Um, the vocational school, um, the nonprofit is building our skills. We, we really don't have skills as a community. And I'm talking about from interviewing to communication to um, Microsoft Word to building a resume to how to conversate during post-interview, how to send that email, uh, this minute, minute things that get overlooked that help us take that next step toward our success. Uh, another thing is a career development. What's our plan? You know, a lot of us have no target. So even if we hit something, we still miss because we had no true aim on anything. But it's shooting in, in the dark, and that's unacceptable. So it is it, are we going to get a trade, a vocation, um, like a plumber, electrician, a brick mason? Are we going to entrepreneurship so we get this nine to five to fund it? Are we going to college or university? Maybe we need to go to community to get that other uh, basics out the way from a monetary standpoint, then take that next step. And then it's mental and emotional health. And I feel like that's the biggest one. It starts with that. We do not address our issues. We do not acknowledge them. And so it's time to acknowledge it because then you do better for yourself and those around you by doing better for you, acknowledging my trauma and acknowledging my issues. So at least I'm not living in denial. I'm not living in a, a delusional lifestyle that's taking a toll on not only myself, but those around me. Then you combine that with somebody like you and you have offspring. And now we have the situation where in our communities, we have plenty of kids, but little fathers. You know, we have plenty mothers, a few housewives and weddings. So it's just it's just time to take a different approach. Um, and the, um, the podcast, which I'm taking a break from now, essentially having conversations like these. Mm. We, we address the significance of HBCU, single parent households. Um, one of them, we even talked to a presidential candidate. He's not going to be one for 10, 20 years, but nonetheless, he is one. And I 
I threw some ideas his way that I wanted him to address, given that day comes. One of them is to have a hate crime bill for African-Americans. Um, a hate crime is if you're being targeted uh, violently or nonviolently based on your appearance, and it carries a harsher sentence. So instead of like assault and battery, it's now aggravated assault. It, it, it bolsters the offense because now it's, it's racially charged. So now there's more accountability with that. Like for instance, the gun gets drawn on you before you present your license and registration. That's racially charged. That's a preconceived notion versus them seeing maybe a gun on your, on your hip and asking questions. They automatically pull that before they have any probable cause onto what happened and, and why. And um, things along that line. Um, so that's the podcast. Uh, another thing was the uh, putting vocational uh, trades, putting trades back in our high schools. Mm. You know, because in eighth grade, I had woodshop. So put woodshop back in the school to where now we're not dealing with Votech, which is a monopoly. They can pick and choose how they want. It's an actual course like algebra two, like geometry. Take out some of those geometry courses and put in woodshop, put in fundamentals of um, electricity. The, this little minute things like that, that gives us a step, gives us our trades back, our skills back to where they can provide for themselves. So they come out of high school with something other than geometry or you know, physics that they're probably not going to use because they're not going until, into that, that field, that area. Um, and the, the last one, the films, books, the music, is just a lead by example. People like to be entertained. Um, I've learned in a harsh way, people want to be entertained and then informed. And so what I've had to do was manipulate my community. I've had to hide the wisdom and the game and the teachings and the addressing of mental and emotional health and career development. And I've had to weave that into the entertainment. I've had to sneak that into the music. I've had to write that into the poetry book. I've had to, I've had to manipulate it. And even a board game I'm, I'm coming out with, it's pretty much a career development board game, but I'm not going to tell them that. It's just snuck in there, and then they'll just get it as a byproduct of um, investing their time in it. And so the biggest, the grand scheme for me is just to be an example. Hmm. Be an example, um, have the next generation say, well, Omari was doing it. Why can't I? The film I shot, I shot it on a phone intentionally. I could have spent a little bit more money. I said, now nah, I'm going to do this intentionally this way. So when I have conversations like these to that listener, there's no excuse. You have a cell phone, don't you? Go outside and shoot a film. You can buy those shoes. They look nice too. You get one scuff on them, they're done. But instead, you can take that same money, get you some intellectual property, a copyright, you can pass that down to the kids. So it is a cruise of royalties and worth. You know, that, that, that's an asset. So now we have assets we, we can pass down and bequeath to the next generation. So really just to be an example. Someone can say, Omari's doing it. I can do it too. I can do better. You know what? My goal is to be better than Omari. That's the grand scheme for me. Is that the youth to see the films, the books, the music. You know what? I think I can do better than this. I'm going to make something too. Mm -hmm. Grand scheme. I love that. I love that. Um, you touched on a lot of great topics, especially when it comes to um, knowing the law. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um for example, I forget what the guy's name is, um, but he got in trouble for New in New York for supposedly stealing a book bag that he never stole. Um, so they sent him to Rikers. And he stayed there for two years without any legal representation. He was just in limbo until he got his court case. 
And yeah. um, he ultimately um, got the case got dismissed, but he committed suicide after that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just being in Rikers for two years, you were a young 16 year old boy. Um, if you had some type of knowledge of the law, um, he would have been able to, you know, at least try to, um, I don't want to say fight it, but, you know, just bring up different topics dealing with that. Or just being, ha- just having the funds to, to, to get a lawyer that's not a public defender, you know, um, yeah. a lot of that is important. And putting messages in music, like we've been doing that since we walked off the shores of Africa, you know what I mean? Like through poetry, through music, through um word of mouth is extremely important. You know, when hip hop started in the nineties, it was basically mainly knowledge rap, you know, and then slowly it became, it got doped down, you know, just like, it's like we start off at a, a very high, high vibration. And then outside entities throw dope in it. You know what I mean? Like, like say the Black Panther movement, a lot of them got locked up or uh, caught on drug charges or fake charges and stuff. And all of a sudden, we don't have like a real purpose. To, we don't have the same purpose anymore. And then yeah. we start off with knowledge rap. And all of a sudden, we don't have a real purpose anymore. It's like a cycle that continues. Um do you have any suggestions or any thoughts on how to um, stop that cycle of them doping up our, 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 our messaging? I see a trend as I study history. I see a trend that we'll have our own, it'll flourish. We just won't have the resources or the, the means to take it to the next level yet. It'll take yeah. us a little longer. So then they'll come in outside communities to say, we can, distribute that more you know we can give you a larger stadium to play basketball at because we had our own basketball association Mm -hmm. i believe it was the aba um where let me look at the nba now it's predominantly ours Mm -hmm. and even some hbcus are doing this now they don't believe in themselves intellectually and financially that they can sustain and so they will take that check now realizing is once they got you with one they got you with all Mm because whoever pays you controls the narrative and I think that's what we sell ourselves short is we'll take that check while being impatient. I mean, it's, it's other factors that go in because people have bills, but at the same time, you have a responsibility to your community since you've committed yourself to doing this because now you might take the check, but the next generation gets sold short because now they're inheriting the contract that you signed. Mm. And what I would tell people is have a true purpose, have a true purpose um, and, and stand on it. Because if you don't, you'll buckle when they put that contract in front of you. When they put that advance in front of you, you'll buckle without realizing that all in advance is is a loan. Yeah, they give you a hundred thousand dollars. You have to pay that hundred thousand back on at least ten percent interest. Exactly. And if you can't pay it, oh, your intellectual property that's theirs. Um, your assets and the the things you've accrued over the that's theirs. The, the ownership you have and the, the resources you've attained, that's theirs. And so that is where I want people to be okay if you don't immediately see the results from a monetary standpoint, because I think that's the biggest thing people focus on. Be okay if you do not see 
the monetary success immediately mm. um, and don't depend on it all the way. Always have multiple streams. So if you're doing music, that's great. You're getting some real estate or some NFTs, which is like, it's, it's like digital art that is coded a certain way to where it builds wealth depending on how popular it becomes. It's, it's intricate. So don't do your own research on it. That's just my interpretation on it. Um, you can get into collecting coins, silver and gold. Um, you can get in trades. It's, it's, we have access to so much, but I just feel like we, we settle because it's safe and because those around us are, aren't doing it. We won't want to do it either. Hmm. And it's just time just to, it's time to lead by example and be okay with making mistakes. So the, so the next generation and ones after you, they can save some money and time by learning from you and what you experienced. Ownership is important. You know, um, like Wall Street. Yeah. Um, in those few cities, they were doing so extremely well that they were doing way better than the surrounding cities, which led mm-hmm. to jealousy, which led to them bombing and 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 um, pillaging those silly cities. Mm-hmm. But. Let's look at hip hop. Hip hop is a multi-trillion dollar industry. Mm-hmm. And those artists and those owners only own a small percentage of it. Um, same with rock and roll, same with um, blues, same with, you know, jazz, like whatever we touch, we create the best out of it. You know what I mean? We, we create the best out of it and give it to the world without thinking about ownership first. (laughs) Yeah. So I love the way that you, you, I love the way that you have ownership within all your, your several properties. Um, What advice would you give a young, a younger uh, boy or girl who wants to start a business, but don't know which direction to go with ownership. I would tell them, what's your hobby? What do you love to do? Like for free, uh, you can win a million things you can do. TV, phone, sports, you can go out, hang out. You can go places, do things. What are you willing to put all that to the side and do for free? Make that into a business. Mm. Because that's all I've done. All I've done is take things I love to do. I make no money from doing these things. Actually, I cost myself money from doing these things, but I'm still willing to do it because I love to do it. So when the money comes, it's still a hobby instead of a job that I have to do. You see the mm-hmm. difference in energy? I, I thoroughly enjoy it to write. I thoroughly enjoy talking about criminal law and, and creative development and mental and emotional health. And then talking about political issues within my community, the black community. I, I love doing these things. So when it does cost me money or time, I don't mind it. And it is stressful. I don't mind it because I see the big picture and that keeps me going. So then when, when the money does come, it's just that much more sweet. So it'll be that much more easy to give it all away. Cause in, in the end, that's the grand scheme is to get as much as I'm able to, and then give it away to, to facilitate, to facilitate systematic change for us. Mm. I mean, that's the biggest thing we need more like a boys and girls club for in the rugged communities mm-hmm. like Southside Chicago, we need a boys and girls club slash performing arts 
um, something along that line to where we bring them in with the sports for 30 minutes, then an hour and a half, they learn from an electrician or they learn from someone to come in and write poetry. They learn bringing a, a scientist or a doctor, uh, things along that line. So they see they have options. They know and understand that they have options and see, they need to see it. That's the one thing I'm learning. People need to see you. They have to see you. You have to be heard and seen talking. They want to watch your body language, see how you dress. They want to see what color your socks are. And if your belt matches your shoes, they want to see these things. And so you have to oblige. It's, it's an obligation and responsibility. So to that young person, um, what do you love to do? Make it a business. It doesn't matter what people say around you. Um, what they're really saying is that they don't have the confidence to do it. And you have to understand that they're going to knock it. They're going to clown you. They're going to degrade you because they aren't doing it. Um, and they've never seen anybody do it. And in their subconscious, they don't think they have the worth to do it because, I mean, we've been taught inferiority. That's been passed down, that we're mm -hmm. less than. Looking at all the move, most movies, not all, most movies, the main and sidekick is, you know, of Caucasian descent. You mm -hmm. might be a butler or we might be a sidekick that gets a little screen time. Um, it's a more subservient role rather than a leadership role. And I don't think we see ourselves in that role. So to that person, just find what you love to do, turn it into a business so that when you don't make money and it's stressful and it's costing you time and energy, you love to do it. So it's worth it. And then when the money does come, it'd be, it'd be that much easier to continue to push. Mm -hmm. Just to add on to that, education is important. Mm -hmm. So if your hobby is, let's say, photography, Learn every aspect of photography. Grab every book that you can get your hands on. Read mm -hmm. and practice every day. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. in order to run a successful business, you have to be great at it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You have to be great at it and do it so often that you can basically do it on autopilot whenever you have to. Mm -hmm. But um. That and and lead with love too, you know. Um, a lot of us have a vision of being rich and famous means that you have the biggest chain or you have all the brand names on. But true wealth wealth to me is having that strong community and that lineage that will live on from you know the deeds that you do today you know, that, that, that will show up in the future, you know, just lead with love. Absolutely. Um, what's your vision for your empire? And let's call it an empire for the next 10 years. Like what, what, where do you want your business to be in the next 10? Mm, the podcast will continue to do that, but we'll have like a studio for it somewhere that's, third party from where I am will, will operate and we'll have more of a team with it. Uh, the, the vocational nonprofit will have a building for that too, where we'll even start having some community classes, some career development, the very things that we're doing now, exactly what I'm doing now we'll do, except on a higher level to be able to reach more people and more, more efficiently. And then 10 years, I'll have that law degree. I mean, that's the, that's the grand scheme for me. Mm. The music, films, books, that, that stuff is, it's important, it's vital. Speaking frankly, that's, that's more off to the side. 
Um, that's a form of entertainment, which is incredibly important. The grand scheme for me is that law office, that, that, that law practice. That's my uh, top of the top priorities. Then it's the vocational. Then it's the entertainment company because I love to do these things. Um, being specific with the vocational and uh, the law office, I plan on taking those to the bigger cities, you know, the Chicago's, the, the Detroit's, the, the Baltimore's, uh, mm-hmm. the New York. The, the Miami, the, the DC, the LA, the wherever the most impoverished areas are on average, that's where we're gonna be. And to take those skills out there because they need it the most because of the state of the community and the state of the mindset that the kids are forced to live in. The adults are a little different. The children are forced to be there. So I feel like wherever I'm needed the most are those areas where the property value are the lowest. Where's the, where's the highest, um, highest percentages of, of violent crime. I need to be there. And, and that's just what I'm dedicating myself to is to kind of alleviate and, and be, that, be that example. And I know what I'm subjecting myself to. And my wife and I, we've spoken about this mm-hmm. even before we had children and got married. I told her my intention and she told me she understood. And I, and I thank you for her, her dedication and her patience. Uh, but 10 years, that's, that's just where, what it has to be because it's, it's detrimental what's going on. So it's time to do something about it on a higher level. Hmm. Hmm. I I love that. All I can say is be careful because yeah. we know what happened to Malcolm X. We know what happened to Dr. King. You know, yeah. we, we know what happened to uh, Huey Newton later on down the line. Like, yeah, the vision is there. Hmm. The process of executing it is there. But just know that there will always be adversaries or yeah. <laughs> setbacks and, and people who will push because they don't want to let go of what, quote unquote, vision of power that they have. That's the reality of it. Uh, history has shown. Mm-hmm. History has shown that this is what comes with. Uh, I think the biggest the biggest difference now is how I'm able to reach people. And then just teaching people my skills as much as possible, leaving as much of me on the table as possible to where eventually, you know, when, when my demise does happen, because it's inevitable, someone else, Amari already taught me 98% of what he knew. So I'm just going to continue what he was doing. And then that's scattered around. So it's really the seeds. That's the biggest thing for me, just to plant as many seeds as possible and be sitting here when death comes and it's time. Until then, we just keep going. We're very fortunate enough to have, you know, things like the internet, things yeah. that will last forever. Um, hmm. Your 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 media, your books that you, you wrote a book, right? I think I read you wrote a book or mm-hmm. something like that. And mm-hmm. you know, little things like that that can be passed on for generations and generations is extremely important for us, and you know our children and children's children, like, Mm. but I'm seeing a a grand awakening with Mm. a lot of our people, you know, whether it's be going back to traditional beliefs before colonialism, um, a lot of people resigning because they see that they're not happy with their careers or their lifestyles or, you know, it's just that same wake watch 
and work routine um it's stifling on the, the spirit and the drive you know and a lot of people are waking up to the bullshit basically yeah and um we need people like you and and others to just whether it just be the entertainment to you know spark that idea in somebody's head that i can change myself and hopefully people in my surrounding areas outlook on um what we can do with our lives instead of what we're given yeah that's i mean you said something really important that i i want people to understand is to change yourself first mm-hmm. that you're not doing anything unless you you start internally because it manifests itself externally and so that's that's one thing I want people to really to ponder on after they get done. What what am I able to do to change myself first, and then from there, the way you talk, dress, interact, the way you treat yourself and and those around you, as well as your family members, it'll show. It'll show just based on the the internal and where you are with that self care, that self love, and that intention. Was there any? Okay, we talk about that change. Was there any point in your life where you had to go through that change or were you always this focus from like birth? <laughs> nah, no. I mean, I was born a man in the house. But at the same time, I started to go through, through certain traumas. Like for instance, my, one of the most important ones was when my uncle had to leave. He was one of my, probably the most, the biggest father figure I had. And he had to do, go do better for himself. Mm-hmm. And that's, as, as, a, as a man, I understand. At that moment, I didn't. And so in my head, I was forced to step up a little more, to have more of a voice, to be more. Because my uncle was 6'4", 230. So when he came places with us, his presence was domineering. And people would react differently to you know my grandmother, my mother, uh, myself and my brother, and those around us a lot differently when he was there. It was like a shield, a barrier. And when he wasn't there, that the barrier wasn't there and people tried little little things, minute things, passive aggressive things. And so in my head, it just said, it's time for me to do more, do better. Um, the second most important one was my first year at Langston. I was extremely reserved, extremely quiet. Um, and Langston forced it out of me. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, when we're around our people, it's gonna be conflict and you're gonna have to take a stand. You're gonna have to, wherever you are, whatever you are, we'll know. It's a matter of time. It's inevitable. And so what you see in now got forced out. I had no choice. And then ironically enough, when I transferred to UCO, they wanted to shove it back in, except for the talented parts where my work, essentially, they wanted all my skills, all my passion, um, all my commitments, um, all of my quality work that I was producing. They just didn't want this, the mm-hmm. stand up, um, outspoken uh, standards and expectations. And this is what you're going to do. They didn't want that. And so that that was another battle I had to face. And, and what you see now is the result. And I, I'm thankful for those experiences. And then my children, I think that was, aside from my uncle even, that was, if not the biggest thing, my children being born, is now the money I make affects them. The money I don't make affects them. This, this subscription to this online service for entertainment, that affects them because that's much less we have. That fast food I'm gonna buy, 
that affects them because that's one meal when I can go buy these groceries to last six meals. And so just those little minute, those little minute things, am I investing it? What am I doing with it? Am I going to the, the mall to buy clothes or am I going to the thrift store to buy clothes? And so now it's, it, it was that next shift. And what am I doing with my finances, time, resources, and how am I investing in myself, which ultimately allows me to invest in us and in their future, which they inherit, whether they want to or not. Hmm. I love that. I mean, personally, I went through those transitions myself, you know, growing up in a single parent household. But my biggest transition was when my lady and I had our first child, you know, mentally, I had to mature. I had to be that man that I envisioned in my head, but didn't really have an example of. So I had to create that example, you know, I had to manifest that example of what a man should be. And I'm still a student. I'm still learning every day. Um, Mm -hmm. Every day is a task, but that's the whole point of it is to learn Mm -hmm. and grow, you know, plant those seeds and, and watch it grow. And that's why I love what you're doing is because you're planting those seeds, you're nurturing those seeds, you're, you're, you're giving them nutrients, you're watering them. And I'm sure those trees will grow as tall as you want them to grow. Appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're running l- a little behind on our time. So um, how can people get in contact with you? What are you doing? Um, what, what can people expect from your business and, 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 and what you're doing in the future? Like, what can they expect? They can expect more, more product, more efficiently and more skilled. Um, they can reach me at O M A R I A A.com. O M as a Mary, A R I A A.com. And the first thing you'll see is that black excellence gallery. Mm-hmm. And that, that is my spirit, my intention. That's my drive. That's my passion. That's my purpose. And when you scroll through it and see some of those images, you'll understand. Um, my, my intent with making that was that every child in um, or across the world takes a look at it and sees that positive and uplifting version of themselves that's not detrimental. That's of families and three, and three, four generations together, that unity and cohesion that upliftment, love, and progress, and inspiration to see I can do that too. So mm-hmm. that's what it looks like. That it, I, I hold that very dear to me, very dear to me, that Black Excellence Gallery. And, and in my opinion, I think it's, a, it's the solution to a lot of our problems is if we look at that at least once a week, at least once a week, and, and just look at it, let it play. Like I even let sit my kids down on a TV and I play it and it's, I let them look at each image and they just sit there and point and they talk to me about it and that's that's the intention that's the the vision um the book the soundtrack um books on the film all that's being finalized that's within a month that's within a month um a letter to my children essentially what i'm leaving behind in the event i die when i die some some knowledge and wisdom for them um when when you listen to when you listen to and read the the poetry the goal this is the grand scheme for the work the goal is that they get the poetry book and they study the, the, the words on it. 
um, from a language arts and you know college uh, English standpoint, they study it. They study the rhetoric of it, mm. and they they under, and decide, I want them to decipher it and to pick apart the the nuggets that I hid within the, the messages themselves. Because what I did was take some of those poetry excerpts and then I put a beat that's bumping behind it. Mm. Now there's music. And then I took that and put it in the film itself along with some of the poetry. So all of it is interwoven. All of it is meant to be ingested, if not together um, consecutively or in any order you want, is just to, to be that example. That's the biggest thing for me, just to be an example. I love that. And just putting those good frequencies out there is important. Mm -hmm. You know, especially with... First, that was the first thing I seen when I, I clicked on your website was the the, the, mm -hmm. the the beautiful black images of beautiful black Come people. On. You yeah. know, it's very rare to see that like on. all on one platform, you know, and we need that good reconstructive programming. You mm -hmm. know, we have to break down our minds of all that BS that they put in our heads and we have to reprogram it with the narrative the, the, the positive vibrational narratives that we create ourselves. I'm learning that whoever tells a story, uh, they, they control the narrative. And yeah. I don't like stories that's told of our people from outside communities because they have nothing at stake. Like they don't, if nothing happens, if something is wrong or off or regressive. So that's why I want us to tell our own stories because we have everything at stake. We have everything to lose and everything to gain. And so I feel like we'll come from, most of us will come from a, a better narrative, a better standpoint, and more, be more intentional with what we say and do when we understand, when we're talking about ourselves rather than somebody else. Mm. That was deep. I think we could end it on that one, brother. That was a good one right there. Let me, um, <laughs> let me, spit, let me spit one of the poems. Oh, do you think? And it's from the soundtrack, too. Um, so people ask me why I do it, and this was, it, it, it came as a result of it. So this one is called Why I Do It. I do it for the kids who have little hope because their parents, they strung out on that dope smoke. I do it for the kids who can't wash their clothes so they wash their jaws in the sink with the bar of soap. I do it for the kids who have great grades but can't focus in class, friends buried in a grave. I do it to lead my people by example, displaying positive acts that carry on and travel. Why I do it. That's love. That's love. I appreciate that one, man. Perfect. Um, so, guys, we're going to end it there. Um, I hope you enjoy our guests as much as I did. A very well-spoken and intelligent brother with intention behind everything he does, which is extremely important. Um, thank you, guys. And um, 